Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world. It is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. This is God's word for us today. Thank you, Stephanie. A month or two ago, I forgot my iPad Coming up here to preach, got ready to preach, and I had no iPad. It was in my office. And so, Ron, just want to say it happens. It happens, and get ready to hear about that for the next couple months. Because every week since then, someone has made a comment to me about my iPad. So, we love you. We're grateful for you, uh, and that's in love. That's because we love you. Um, let's pray together now, as we look together to God's word. Father, we. Thank you for this opportunity to hear from you. We thank you for this opportunity to begin a journey through a new letter, a new book of the Bible that you yourself have breathed out, you've inspired for our benefit, for our good. And in particular today, uh, we pray that you would prepare us for what it is you are about to do through the letter to the Colossians in the life of our church. In particular, God, we pray that where we have drifted from the hope of the gospel, that you would draw us back to this great and heavenly hope. We pray that now and in the weeks ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, when I came to faith in Christ, it was a very memorable week for me. Uh, I was 14 years old, and the neighbors had invited my family and I to a Christian camp in upstate New York, uh, and this camp was incredible. It was on an island in the middle of Shroon Lake in the middle of the Adirondack Mountains. Uh, and it was here that I'm convinced I heard the gospel truly for the first time. I had grown up learning and knowing the stories of the Bible, but I had never heard that all of the Bible and all of its stories are working together to tell one story and that this one story is ultimately all about Jesus, God's own son, coming to die on the cross for my sins and the sins of this world. It was not just an ancient story. It was an ancient story with a profound set of implications for me. Because he rose again, because he still is alive now, reigning in heaven, I can have new spiritual life. So when my camp counselor explained that to me that week, it was as if a million different dots were connected in my brain and in my heart. I, it made perfect sense to me that week, and I believed it 
wholeheartedly. I did. And that week, I still believe, I discovered the greatest spiritual mystery of all time in the gospel. The the hidden glories of heaven had been revealed and unlocked and laid before me that week. Needless to say, I was amazed. Uh, I was in awe. I, I had never even dreamt of a hope like that. Then we flew back to Wisconsin. <laughs> and I remember praying on the flight home, Lord, I'm going to need your help, because at least at that point, as far as I knew, I, I didn't really know many people who even believed this. And that led to a season of discouragement for me. I, I remember actually emailing with this camp counselor uh, who led me to faith in Christ and just, just venting with him about how hard the Christian life was proving to be, how lonely at times it really felt And I'll never forget, he said something in response that I have reflected back on many times since then. It was just the reminder I needed. He said, Danny, Jesus is not just the king of the island. He is the king of of heaven and earth. He's the king of all things. I, I really missed that experience I had. I wanted to get back to that island, but this is exactly what I needed to hear. And I have remembered it ever since. The hope that I had received in trusting in Christ was not just a camp thing. It was an all-of-life thing. I didn't need some other hope. I didn't need to get back to camp. I needed to remember the hope that I had found. This is common experience, I think, for many Christians. Uh, The hope of the gospel grabs hold of us. It, It transforms us, and then... Life happens, right? The things of this world distract us from that hope. There are plenty of negative consequences to this. Uh, As our spiritual focuses drift downward and our heavenly hope fades off into the distance, we become more cynical, we become less loving, and we become more susceptible to all kinds of bad spiritual ideas. Uh, That is what Paul's letter to the Colossians is all about. See, the truth is, from a historical perspective, we don't really know much about this local church or even about the city of Colossae. But as one scholar puts it very helpfully, he says, what we do know about Colossae suggests that it was very complex with many religious, philosophical, and cultural movements jostling for power. I'm sorry, for attention, that is. But does that sound familiar? Uh, In other words, much like we are today, uh, these brothers and sisters were surrounded with a litany of spiritual ideas, all claiming to have some sort of key that unlocked the secret recipe to spiritual life. There were plenty of opportunities, if you will, to be distracted and to drift from the hope of the gospel, uh, which does actually make a lot of sense based on what we see Paul has to say here in this letter. So one of the most reliable ways to discover sort of the backstory to a letter of the New Testament is to consider what that letter says and then sort of work backwards from there. Ask yourself as you read, well, why would this have needed to be written? And then from there, start to sort of reconstruct the problem that that church must have been dealing with. Now, in this case, when we get to the second half of chapter 2 in our series, Paul is going to lay out the problem in Colossae 
most clearly, but it's going to help us as we start to get a bit of a glimpse of it even now. Turns out the problem in Colossae was not with one particular group of people per se. The problem was that all kinds of people in this church were being influenced by all kinds of different philosophies from the world, which is why Paul warns them in chapter 2 to avoid being, quote, taken captive by philosophy and empty deceit, he says, according to human tradition and not, he says, according to Christ. This was the problem. Apparently, these philosophies led some to sort of arrogantly drift from the hope of the gospel and instead to become enamored with all kinds of earthly spiritual things like spiritual rules or, or rituals of the spiritual life or even supernatural experiences like visions and these sorts of things. And as Paul will explain in chapter 2, those who were taken captive in this way were, quote, puffed up without reason by their sensuous minds and, again, not holding fast to the head who is Christ. In other words, and I want us to remember this sentence in particular as we go, because this, this, I believe, is the key to understanding the book of Colossians. I'm convinced the problem, if we were to summarize it, is this, that they were drifting from the heavenly hope of King Jesus in search of a better spiritual life here on earth. They were drifting from the heavenly hope of King Jesus in search of a better life here on earth, much like I was shortly after I came to faith in Christ. And to be honest, even many times since then, right, as the cares of this world set in, I began to lose sight of just how powerful the hope of that gospel truly is I began to think that my hope was tied to a particular place in, in this earth or a particular experience I had in this earth rather than in Christ himself. Maybe you are experiencing something like this today. Uh, maybe you can recall a time when the hope of the gospel had gripped your heart and transformed your life. But these days, you are struggling to live with that same gospel hope. It's as if you've forgotten it. It's as if you've lost sight of it. It's as if you have drifted from it. Colossians is designed to lift our eyes back up to the hope that we have in our risen King Jesus Christ. It is meant to show us that this King, Jesus Christ, who reigns in heaven, is the point of all things on earth. But here, we're going to see Paul begins this letter by rejoicing and reminding. So the two things Paul does here, he rejoices and he reminds. First, we're going to see Paul rejoices specifically because this church has experienced the hope of the gospel. Uh, Paul starts here, as he often does, by telling this church why he and his fellow workers are so thankful for them. After he addresses the letter, in verse 3, he says this. He says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when he prays for you. And I want you to notice why. He says, we've been praying for you in this way, since we heard of your faith 
in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. I just want to reflect here in this point on that, that sentence right there. I want you to notice that Paul is thankful for this church because of two qualities they have and the one reason they have them, okay? Uh, the two qualities are faith and love. He has heard of their faith in Christ Jesus. They were depending actively on the finished work of Christ, right? To be redeemed, to be set free. They were depending on him. And he had heard of their love for all the saints. And so this shared faith led them to a love for one another. It led them to a love for all the members of all the churches that these apostles were planting throughout the world. All the saints. But I want you to notice the reason why, he says, they have this faith and love to begin with. He says it was because, quote, because of the hope laid up for them in heaven. In other words, and I think this is really important, the hope came first. The hope was the reason for the faith and the love. Now, by this hope laid up in heaven, without a doubt, Paul is referring to the risen Lord, King, Jesus Christ, who reigns in heaven. That will become clearer and clearer in the weeks ahead. He died, he was buried, he rose again, he ascended into heaven, and he is this hope laid up for us in heaven. Our hope laid up in heaven is a man, a real, living, breathing man who was crucified, buried, and risen to forgive us of our sins. The fact that he is alive and the fact that he is reigning in heaven is this hope that we have. And apparently when we discover that hope, it leads to all kinds of good things in us, right? So I want you to pay attention to this cycle here. I'm going to call this the sacred cycle. And I think we're going to come back to it over and over in the course of this letter. It's the hope that leads to the faith which produces the love. You see that? Um, first, we discover this hope of King Jesus reigning in heaven. That hope leads to faith. Now, now, the author of Hebrews says this, says that faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It's the conviction of things not seen. In other words, Jesus is not here. Uh, we cannot see him reigning in heaven over all things, which is why this is our hope. Uh, but the point is, if that hope is going to change us, it will require faith. Which means that we start living as if we're not only just hoping that King Jesus is reigning in heaven, but we know that he is reigning in heaven. We are convinced, we are assured that he is. This is what faith is, friends. Uh, it, it, it takes hope one step further, and faith actually banks on the thing that we're hope for, hoping for being true, right? And so it's the hope of King Jesus that leads to the faith, and then that faith produces a love for all of the saints. Now, in the New Testament, that word saint does not mean someone who is exceptionally holy or, or more so holy than all the other Christians. It, it, what it means is one who was called out, one who was set apart. And it refers throughout the entire New Testament to all Christians. All of us 
who have this faith in the gospel have been called out of this world and into the kingdom of God. And, and those are the people we, me- we are meant to love when we discover the hope and believe in King Jesus, uh, which we will see is what Paul celebrates next week. If you just look ahead in your Bibles to, to verse 13, he specifically says, he, was, he has delivered us from or out of the domain of darkness, and he has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. This is what it means to be a saint, to be called out of the world in this way. But I want you again to see the order here. First, we discover the hope of the gospel. Then we begin to trust in the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And then we discover this newfound spiritual love for all the saints. I'm going to, again, call that the sacred cycle. It'll probably come up again. But first, I want you to notice that Paul begins here by celebrating. He's rejoicing that this sacred cycle has been happening in the life of this church. He is rejoicing that they have discovered the hope of this heavenly King Jesus and that this hope has led to their faith in Christ and their love for one another. He rejoices. Next, he reminds. He reminds them, and in particular, he reminds them that this gospel is still the hope that they need. It is still the hope that they need. In the middle of verse 5, Paul takes sort of a strange turn here. He was just rejoicing in this sacred cycle happening in the life of the church. It all starts with hope. But then midway through verse 5, he starts talking as if he's not even sure that this church remembers that hope. Look with me midway through verse 5. He says, of this, right, of this hope laid up in heaven, you have heard before, he says, in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you. Let's just pause right there. See, I want you to notice that Paul is pointing backwards to a time when they first heard the good news that King Jesus has risen again to reign over all things in heaven. He's saying, you remember that? (laughs) You have heard this before, right? Uh, This message has already come to you. And so clearly this suggests that Paul seems to think this church has forgotten that hope. Which is why next he explains in verse 6 that, yes, this hope has come to their church, as indeed, he says, in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, says, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying, this hope you discovered back then, when the gospel first came to you, that hope is still having the same effect in all the world, everywhere. This sacred cycle that you experienced, that was not just a Colossian thing. It was not just a one-time phenomenon. And yet, he says clearly, at the same time, it is a Colossian thing. It is even still today, at least it should be. He says the same gospel bearing fruit and increasing in all the world does also bear fruit and increase among you. It does. It has been, he says, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God. In truth. In other words, he's saying, guys, the hope you experienced back then is still very much a thing now. It still is. It still works. Right now, Paul knew they'd experienced it before. He had even heard of the love and the faith they'd experienced because of it. But for some reason, he feels the need to remind them here that the hope they discovered back then is still the same hope that they need right now. 
This is what Paul's doing in this introduction. He's pointing backwards to the day these Christians first heard the hope of the gospel. He's reminding them, guys, it's still real. That hope is still bearing fruit in all the world, and that hope can still bear fruit in the life of your church today. But here's why they needed to hear that reminder. And church, here's why we need to hear this reminder today all the same. It's because we can easily drift from the hope of the gospel. It's our big idea for today. We can easily drift from this hope. Uh, We are going to see in the weeks ahead that is exactly what happened to this church. As they drifted from the hope of the gospel, their eyes shifted downward to the things of this earth. They became distracted by philosophies and rituals. and, And this had the result of grinding this sacred cycle to a halt among them. We are going to see they set their minds on the things of this earth and they were puffed up without reason by their sensuous minds. I want to ask, do we not see this happening, it seems, everywhere we look today? Do we not? As Christians whose minds are set on earthly things, like masks, and vaccines, and politics, as if these things are the key to spiritual life, as if if we want to be really faithful to Christ, that we have to get these things right, and everybody who does is not deserving of our love. Christians, we see far too often, do we see them puffed up without reason by sensuous minds, and blown in every possible direction by media narratives and conspiracy theories and the latest trendy philosophies. Could it be that the reason we are so consumed by these things these days is that we have drifted from the hope laid up for us in heaven? Could it be? I think it is. I think it's precisely what Paul's point is here in this letter. And so next, let's just consider, in light of what we see here in this introduction, what do we need to remember to keep from drifting from the hope of the gospel? What do we need to remember? The first thing is this. We need to remember that our hope is laid up for us in heaven. Our hope is laid up for us in heaven, which is to say, by the way, it is not here (laughs) on earth This is a transcendent hope. This is a hope that has been exalted high above all the things of this earth. And we're going to see that idea is crucial to this letter. We're going to hear that over and over like a refrain throughout this letter. That King Jesus, who reigns in heaven, is the point of all things on earth. He himself is the hope that we need to experience new spiritual life in our hopeless world. But he is not here. He's not here. He is laid up for us in heaven, which means that if we want to experience and stay rooted in this hope, then we need to look far higher than the things of this world. Far higher. As Paul will tell us in chapter 3, we need to seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, seated in heaven. That's where we need to seek That's the things we need to pursue. That is where our hope is found. And so we should not be surprised when we cannot find this hope here on earth. No matter how dark this world may get, 
or how hopeless this world may seem, church, we will be fine. We will be fine because our hope is not of this world. Our hope is laid up for us in heaven. I want you to ask yourself today, how often do I think about the stresses of work or getting promoted or finding a spouse or, the, or a better house or the right school for my kids? How often do I think about the problems in our culture or the state of our government and our politics? Just to name a few, right? These are all earthly things of this world with the potential to distract us from the hope laid up for us in heaven, especially if we try to find our hope in them, right? That's not to say that all of them are bad in and of themselves. Some of them are are good, a job, a spouse. These are blessings, right? But not if they take our eyes off of this heavenly hope. Uh, Not if we start to think that they are the point of all things on earth rather than Christ himself being the point of all things on earth. And so how much of our time our attention, our mental energy are devoted to these things. How many hours do we spend each week looking at our phones, thinking and looking and searching for this stuff? And now by comparison, let's all ask ourselves, how often do I think about the risen King Jesus reigning over all things in heaven? How often do we think of him nailing our sins to his cross? How often do we think of him conquering death on our behalf or ascending into heaven to be exalted on high? Is this the hope that we look to from day to day? Or have our minds been taken captive by philosophies, by the cares and the things of this world? See, to be a Christian is to believe that there is no greater hope than this hope laid up in heaven. Uh, To be a Christian is therefore to stop looking for another source of hope here on earth. Is that true of us? Have we found the only hope that we will ever need? Have we stopped searching for a hope at all? If you're here today and you're not sure Uh, If you even want to be a Christian, you're just exploring this. Uh, I want to say this is what true biblical Christianity has to offer us. True biblical Christianity offers us a transcendent hope uh, that will grind your search for hope to a glorious halt and will propel you into a sacred cycle of faith in Christ Jesus and love for all the saints. Church, because our risen king reigns today in heaven, we always have hope. We always have hope, and that hope can never be taken from us. But we have to remember that hope is not here. At least not for now, it isn't. It is laid up for us in heaven. This is the first thing we need to remember. Our hope is laid up in heaven. The next thing we need to remember is that that hope has bound us together in love. We're going to see in this letter there's a direct connection between this hope laid up for us in heaven and our love for one another. As one of those things goes, so goes the other. If our hope stays rooted in the risen King Jesus, loving one another will come much more naturally to us. 
But if we drift from this hope, then our love from one another will grow cold, which is what we will see happen to this church in Colossae. Uh, They started to posture with one another to prove who was the most spiritual among them. They became arrogant, as if each of them had some inside track on true spiritual enlightenment. The more their eyes shifted downward from their heavenly hope to the things of this earth, the less willing they became to bear with one another and to extend grace to one another. I cannot help but wonder if this is what we see happening in churches across our country right now where brothers and sisters who used to live together in loving fellowship are now being torn apart by their different responses to the crises we faced in the last year and a half, right? As the cultural climate keeps heating up, many Christians, unfortunately, have run to one of our favorite earthly hopes, especially in America, namely the hope of cultural power and politics. And as a result, churches, Christian friendships, even families are being torn apart over disagreements on things like wearing masks, whether or not to get a vaccine, or who we should vote for in a particularly challenging and contentious election. Now, it makes perfect sense to me that the world would be torn apart in this way, because the world can only look to the things of this world to find hope. That's what it means to be in the world and of the world, they do not have the kind of hope that is necessary to navigate the type of crises that we've seen with wisdom and with love. But at least in theory, right, we should. We should. If our eyes are fixed on the hope we have laid up in heaven, if our trust is in Christ and Christ alone, we should be able to navigate these issues together. And thankfully, I will say, as a pastor, I'm I'm, I'm Pleased to say, I I think we have. I'm really pleased, actually, with the way we've walked through this in the life of our church. But this letter should help us to make sense of the turmoil we've seen in the church at large. All too often, we've seen Christians are opting not to stay bound together in love. Instead, they're just looking for churches that agree with them on masks and vaccines and politics. And on both sides of this divide, many have grown increasingly arrogant, increasingly hostile, increasingly vindictive, in some ways even being kind to one of these other Christians that feels strongly about it in a different direction, it now almost calls our spiritual maturity into question. It's like an anti-sacred cycle. And our love and our effort to maintain that love is, hmm, maybe they're off. I'm convinced we need to talk about culture and politics far more often as a church, not because there's any hope in them, and not to to recommend a particular agenda for them, but to remind us not to hope in them, to keep us from sacrificing our glorious shared heavenly hope on the altar of earthly politics and arrogant culture wars that Christ would have nothing to do with. This is one of the most tempting ways to drift from the hope of the gospel today. I am convinced if we want to avoid this, we need to remember that this hope has bound us together in love. 
And therefore, if we feel our love growing cold for all of the saints, that should be a big red flag in our hearts. If all of a sudden, you know, we just don't really feel like coming to church anymore, not our church. If all of a sudden uh, we don't feel like having meaningful spiritual friendships, if we find ourselves criticizing other Christians more so than we are sharing fellowship with other Christians, our sacred cycle alarms should be sounding off on red alert, danger, danger, Some, something is wrong here, something is, is not right, and we need to trace our steps backwards along the sacred cycle to find the problem here, right? If my love is growing cold, could it be that I am not actively depending on Christ in faith? Could that be? If I am not depending on him in this way, could it be that I have drifted from the hope of the gospel? Have I started looking for that hope here on earth rather than in my heavenly king? Right, so we need to remember, church, our hope is not here on this earth. He, our hope, is laid up for us in heaven. And that risen Christ, our hope, has bound us together in love. And finally, the last thing we need to remember in light of this passage is this. Number three, unfortunately, it is easy to forget these things. It is easy to forget. That's why this letter needed to be written. That's why we need to look at it today, right? This is the real rub. Because as true as these, thing, as these things are, as much as we may celebrate them today, the reality is all of us are susceptible to drifting from these things, to drifting from the hope of the gospel. And again, that's why we need this letter uh, typically, the reason we drift from the hope of the gospel is because we start looking for a more tangible hope here and now. We want a hope that's a bit more immediate. We want a hope that's a bit more practical, right? We start to think, well, it's great that Christ is exalted in heaven. I'm really happy about that, sure. But I need some help here and now. <laughs> uh, I need to experience a hope that I can see that I can measure today, and we start to look, as a result, for this hope all over. We look for it in entertainment, right? When we get hopeless, we just numb our minds. When we look for it in consumerism, when we feel hopeless, we buy more stuff. Uh, we look for it in other people. When we feel hopeless, we search for that perfect relationship. Or, as we've seen, we can look for it in politics. When we get hopeless... We fight over the earthly king that has the best policies. When we f forget this hope of the gospel, we look for hope everywhere except in heaven, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Again, thankfully, as a church, I, this has been an exceptional season for this type of thing, but I think we have not experienced much of the turmoil I've just described. I'm, I'm, I want to say in many ways I count that as a testimony to the work of God in all of you. I really do. Um, I'm so incredibly grateful for that. Over the last year, I've heard many of you say that your fellowship at Redemption has been such a breath of fresh air to you. It's been so refreshing. Uh, there's a, something deep and intimate about our culture as a church. You've loved our focus on membership our commitment to love one another and follow Jesus even when it's hard. I think we really do experience this hope-induced sacred cycle uh, that Paul is talking about here. I think we really do. And I am so grateful for that. 
But let's not be fooled into thinking we are special here at Redemption Church and that we would never drift from the hope of this gospel. Right? We can easily drift from it, just like anyone else. And that is what this letter is designed to protect us from. From beginning to end, Paul is, is directing our eyes upward to the risen King Jesus, exalted high above the things of this earth, so that we don't drift from the hope of this gospel in search of a better spiritual life here and now. Because the truth is, there is no better spiritual life than a life lived by the hope of this gospel. So maybe you've been starting to feel this kind of drift in your own spiritual life. Uh, as the cares of this world have been getting in the way of your heavenly hope. Well, for the next 12 weeks here, I want to invite all of us to take an inventory of the spiritual quality of our lives here on earth. To take an inventory of the things like our, our work life, our family, our hobbies, our fellowship, even our digital habits. And to consider, is Christ really reigning supreme in all of these things? Is he? Is he the substance of our lives? Are our eyes daily fixed on him? Is our hope rooted in his everlasting life, or have we drifted from that hope and been taken captive by the things of this world? Because if so, we are going to see that the solution is not to keep looking. The solution is not to look harder. Instead, the solution is to stop looking and to remember the hope laid up for us in heaven. Let's pray together now. Father, we thank you for this reminder from Paul. We trust that this reminder is from you even. And God, help us to see all the more that we desperately need this reminder, God. That we need to stay rooted and established in this once-for-all hope that you have given to us by conquering sin and death and ascending to heaven where you rule and you reign over all things. Help us to see, God, that your Son, even Jesus Christ, is the point of everything else we see and experience in this life. Use the power of that hope in us, God, to change us, Use it to fuel our faith. Use it to compel our love for one another. We pray now in Jesus' name. Amen.